Was it? Let me, I'm firing up this podcast for all the podcast lovers out there. What's up? What's up? What's up? You guys live are watching us. Um, we're 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 um, multitasking. I think is the word. Um, but yeah, I got a haircut. Um, you've seen me since my haircut. I saw you on Friday. You did? I didn't think your hair. You didn't comb it like that. Maybe. Well, I have to look good for the show. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. You know, like I have to. You know, I. This is my. I have to dress up a little bit. You know. <laughs> it looks good. It really does. I like it. Uh, D. Lynn, good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for uh, for being with us tonight. Um, Doc, you ready to? Was your day good? Oh, I had a great day. Yeah, I saw a lot of new patients and. Um, we got our new sign put up in front of the other building that we just purchased another house right next door to our Kingsport office. So that was cool to see after work today and we had a great day. I got, uh, I got a pic of, of that, of that sign and, and man, it looks awesome. I, I can't wait to, to see that in person. Uh, and we've got a couple, we've got the, the signs, uh, getting up for, uh, Fountain City shortly. So, uh, the folks in, in, in Fountain City will be able to see a performance medicine sign uh, at some point in the near future. We're kind of we're working our way towards that step-by-step, uh, step, um, which has been a, a blast. Uh, thank you. A huge thanks to, you know, Katie's uh, setting up all that, doing incredible. Uh, so big thanks to her for uh, getting these offices together. We're uh, we're ramping up the offices, which we're, we're excited. We're excited about, and and uh, looking forward to the Red House and 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 Fountain City. Uh, of course, we've got you know Bristol was up this year, so it's been a it's been a fun, uh, really exciting year. Um, so you ready to get into the questions? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do this, guys. And like I said, uh, guys, this is the Performance Medicine Show. Uh, if you got a question for Dr. Rogers, uh, in the second half of the show, we take questions uh, live. Uh, the first half um, are questions that came in throughout the week, either through email, Facebook Messenger, Instagram DM. I'm still kind of keeping an eye on those because I gave Instagram a little, uh, not a, a huge um, margin here for, for time. So I'm going to keep an eye on them to make sure we get to as many questions as possible. Um, so let's, let's start with a, a question that has to do with the common sense MD episode. Um, does fasting decrease your risk of cancer? Uh, most people think yes, for sure. Um, I think there was two things I would do if I got the diagnosis of cancer and that would be, I would go on a keto diet and that would include fasting as well. And I would um, probably consider some IV vitamin C. I wouldn't even consider it. I would do it. But um, and again, uh, I would also do uh, some of the traditional stuff, depending on what. But there's a lot of options for people. But that's two things I would immediately do. Um, because cancer loves sugar. Remember that. Um, so there's no doubt in my mind that it, fasting will decrease uh, your risk of cancer and maybe a good treatment for cancer. All right, great question there. Really timely with the uh, with the the episode on fasting this week. Um, let's go to um, let's see. How do you treat neuropathy of feet and legs if it's just started? How do you deter it? Well, first of all, you try to figure out why you have neuropathy, which is irritation of the nerves. And it usually happens in the, the feet first. Uh, the most common one, of course, is diabetes. Um, so you need to check that. You may also have some B vitamin deficiencies. Um, vitamin B6 is one that you may try. You see if it helps. It's interesting. A low B6 can cause it if you take too much vitamin B6, it could cause it. So um, look, you may have some problems with the nerves in your back uh, that may cause that. There may be some metabolic reasons. Um, I had an interesting patient today that um, had restless legs and 
which is a pain. I mean, restless leg syndrome at night is a real, it's not fun to have. And um, so I had done a uh, Cleveland panel and her ferritin was really low and she was anemic, which we're working up. But so I put her on iron and the iron within a few days uh, cured her restless leg syndrome. So if you have RLS, restless leg syndrome, uh, get a ferritin level, make sure you're not anemic. And even if, even if you're on the kind of low normal side, try some, some iron supplements and see if that does help. Super um, interesting. I didn't but never ignore trying to find the root cause of the problem when you're, why you're iron deficient or anemia. You know, that's important. So. All right. Thank you for, for that question. Great answer there, Doc. Um, let's get to, let's see here. Uh, okay. This is, this is a two part question. Um, so give me a second here. It is about five years ago. I had a stem cell transplant was told I would need to retake all of my childhood immunizations. One oncologist said there was no need to redo them. And another said there was, the question is, I just never got around to it. Now I have heard of several cases of chickenpox going around. Should I be concerned and get the immunizations or is it necessary at this point? I'm not sure how old you are and what your risk factors are, but, um, you know, that is, that is a very controversial subject. And as you've seen, two oncologists gave you two different answers. That's what makes medicine an art as well as a science. Um, but what you need to do is make your own decisions on it. Um, you know, like, for example, pertussis, whooping cough. You know, there's a slight comeback with that. Um, chicken pox. Um, you know, the one thing you could do is, is you could get some titers, get some blood work just to see if you still have some immunity to it. I'd probably do that before I'd go getting immunizations that you may not need. Um, but it's just one of those things that, you know, I'm certainly not an anti-vaxxer. I, I believe in vaccinations that work. And so I'd probably get the titers and depending on your age and risk factors, um, you may consider it if you're still, you know, young and, you know, have kids and all, uh, kids in daycare and things. Um, that's a really tough question to answer, not knowing the whole history of this thing. Um, but those vaccines that they're talking about getting, giving you are usually pretty safe. Um, so, you know, get, get some titers and see where you're at. Um, maybe get a third opinion by somebody who does stem cell transplants, another oncologist, and see what they say. and Do your research. Um, you know, I, I, not doing stem cell transplants, I don't advise a lot of people on this. Um, so I'll leave that to the experts. But um, one thing I'll tell you, Keep your own immune system uh, as healthy as you can get it so that if you do come in contact with viruses, you know, that you're able to kind of fight them off. Um, you know, some people uh, don't tolerate some of those very well. Uh, most people do. So I know this has been a roundaway answer. So it's, there's no, it's very controversial. There's no clear yes or no answer. Here's what I would also tell you. If you feel very uncomfortable about it and it's 50-50, do versus don't, just don't. Um, keep your own immune system going and take your vitamins and uh, keep your weight stable, exercise. I mean, your own immune system is pretty good. Um, and, and we're not having those outbreaks of, of chicken pox. You see it rarely, um, but you're just not seeing the stuff that, that they used to. Um, there, you know, polio, there's a lot of things that uh, smallpox, I mean, there's a few 
cases here and there. Um, mostly the diseases they thought they eradicated. Um, if there's a, a breakthrough infection, it's usually due to a lab leak. Um, but uh, so you make your own decision. Get, get more opinions, do more reading, more research, and um, see how you've done with other vaccines in the past to see if you tolerate them well. If you're one of those that doesn't do well with flu shots or the shingle shot, um, the, the Pneumovax shot. Um, I had a patient today that told me that she received um, her Pneumovax shot um, and just felt horrible for two weeks. Um, so make your own decision. All right. Let's go to the next question here. Um, this is a hormone question. Um, my progesterone was 37.8 and my estrogen was 87 on my last labs. Is that enough to be optimal? Also, my THS was a little high at 5.75 and T3, uh, free T3 was 2.5. Is that Hashimoto range? And I've got... That's a great, great question. I've got a few more information here for you, just so you know. Uh, they're on bias 5 milligrams, EP and DHEA in pill form for about two months now, and now thyroid pills uh, right now, just to give you some more info. I'm not sure what dose you're on of the uh, progesterone. Um but that, that's a high, that's a high progesterone level. I don't know if you're still cycling or if you're menopausal. So I need a little more information on that, but that's, that's a really high progesterone level considering where your estrogen is. Estrogen level is about perfect. That progesterone level is really high. Um, you know, if you get your progesterone too high, you can gain weight with it for one thing, but, you know, I've, I need more information about how old you are, if you still have a uterus, that type of thing. Um, I don't use oral estrogens. I always use creams or pellets. Um, so personally, I don't use them. There's some great doctors that do. But, you know, you, when, it, when you take it orally, now I will give a natural progesterone orally, um, but um, estrogen and testosterone, I don't give orally. Um, I use transdermals or pellets. So it doesn't have to be metabolized through your liver so that the small risk of clotting is not there when you do it that way. Um, and I assume you mean estradiol level was 87. Hopefully that you mean estradiol level. Sometimes we'll split it into, you know, the three different forms of estrogen. So that's a pretty high, you need to lower your dose of progesterone for sure. Um, and, you know, maybe consider using a transdermal formulation. Um, that's a high TSH, meaning you're, you're suboptimal on your thyroid replacement. That's a low T3 in my opinion. Again, I go more by symptoms and labs, but that's, you know, I like to use usually um, kind of, get your TSH level around one rather than five. Remember when your TSH is high, that means your thyroid's low. So, because it's thyroid stimulating hormone, it's TSH, not THS, of course. But um, I mean, certainly the most common cause of hypothyroidism is Hashimoto's. So you need to get at least a TPO antibody level to see if it's Hashimoto's. Because if it is, you need to take zinc and selenium. You need to go gluten-free. And you need to follow your uh, antibody levels to see, you know, how they're coming down, depending on a lot of factors like your gut, maybe your cortisol levels, your insulin levels. So this thing's kind of multifactorial. I don't know what dose. The second part of that question says you're already on thyroid medication. So it's I don't know which one you're on. You know, if you're on just a T4, if you're on the combination T3, T4, which I prefer um, and what dose you're on. But. Um, so check a TPO antibody and look at, look at how much T3 you're getting. If you're on T4, you may not be um, converting to T3, the active form of thyroid. So go back and look at my um, little podcast last week on Hashimoto's and uh, review that. And I, I suggest a really good book for you to read. 
uh, in that podcast that uh, if you read that book and you understand it, you'll know more than 99% of doctors, including endocrinologists. So go read that book. Uh, I'll post it up here before the night's over. Ben will, but um, but anyway, um, you need to you need to get that. You've got some work to do on on getting that tuned up on both your hormones and your thyroid, in my opinion. And then look at your symptoms as well. And we will we will. What I'll do is I'll I'll try to find a link to that book because that book is uh, based on what I'm hearing from you. Just a a great resource around. Uh, thyroid and Hashimoto's in particular. Um, so yeah. I'll put that in the comments here soon um, once I get to it. But we've got more questions to get to. I want to get to um, this one right here, which is kind of going back to uh, progesterone. I read this week that it is always best to cycle your BHRT progesterone and only take slash apply it for two weeks out of the month to mimic the biological cycle as closely as possible. And the question is, I think you disagree with this. Please explain why. Well, I don't really disagree with that, but um, there's caveats. Like, depending on where you are in your, in your um, you know, if, if you're still having menstrual cycles and you just need a little progesterone in the last two weeks of the cycle, I do that a lot on people. Um, usually the people that see me are deficient, you know, the whole month long because they're either very premenopausal or postmenopausal. Um, so, um, it is true that if you can mimic the cycle, um, you can do it, but a lot of times, and again, you can't just do it for two weeks of the month, unless if you, if you don't have adequate estrogen. So, you know, the first phase of your cycle, um, is estrogen dominant. The second phase is progesterone dominant. So it really depends on where you're at. Now, the other thing about it, um, it can kind of be confusing to try to cycle it that way and, and use, you know, a little bit of estrogen in the first part of your cycle, then more progesterone the second half of the cycle. Um, because you still have a little bit of both in, in, in all parts of the cycle. Um, so it's kind of onerous to really do it that way unless you just need uh progesterone that last two weeks of your cycle uh, during the luteal phase um, now the other thing too i tell most of my people that i have on creams just to do it six nights out of seven um, the other thing too with if you cycle it like that in postmenopausal women they're just they're going to have a period you know so most people that I see that are that age, 50-ish or so, or they don't want to have a, a monthly period anymore. So you just kind of keep it continuous. Um, kind of like birth control pill do. All these are, these are natural hormones. They're not synthetic like the birth control pill. Um, and if you're on, another good point is if you're on the birth control pill and you get your labs done, it's going to throw them off. It's really not going to be accurate on estrogen or progesterone levels it will be accurate on the testosterone level. And remember the birth control pill will decrease your testosterone levels, which women need just like men. As a matter of fact, women, they have more testosterone in their systems than they do estrogen. That's something, you know, most people don't know, but when you talk about nanograms per deciliter volume of testosterone, they have more testosterone in their in their systems and they do estrogen. Um, and of course that's talking about women that are premenopausal, you know? Uh, so th that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, uh, about that, you know, to really, to really be real academic about it and do it right. You really should look at, you know, 24 hour, 30 day, um, urinary metabolites, uh, which is just really hard to do. It's really expensive. It's kind of hard to interpret and, you know, nobody wants to do that. So you got to, you got to think practicality, you know, what, what do you want to do in a practical thing? So my advice is if you're still cycling, uh, then that's a pretty good way to do it. You just need to, you'll need to test at different points during the cycle. Um, you know, most of the women that see me are already kind of, 
further out than you may be. I don't know. But uh, certainly if you're postmenopausal, you, you know, you don't want to just take hormones the last two weeks of the cycle because, you know, you're going to need a low dose of estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, maybe DHEA uh, the whole time. But uh, some some people will take a week off or five days off. That'd be probably a more practical way to do it than than do, just do it for two weeks or, you know, just do it six nights out of the week. Um, but most of the women I see, they're at the point in their life where they don't want to have a cycle. So that's a wonderful question. though. It gets complex and everybody's different, but really good question. We're going to stay on the the BHRT theme for women. Uh, we've got two more questions around that, so we're just going to keep with it because uh, you're on a roll here. Uh, please explain why biest is the better option than straight estradiol in BHRT. Or am I on a roll here, Ben? You're on, on a you're on, on a roll. roll. <laughs> um, well. Um, estradiol is the main hormone. You know, you have estriol, estradiol, and estrone. Um, you know, estriol, which is the other part of that bias, bi means two, so estradiol is the main component. <clears throat> the estriol, which is a lot less potent form of estrogen, though, is thought to be very protective um, of your breast. So, and, and I when I use a vaginal cream just for dryness, I always use um, an estriol vaginal cream is just safer. Um, you know, it's not well known in Europe. That's sure what they do. Um, and that's what I do in, in my practice. Um, so again, if I'm using a cream, uh, you know, I don't use oral estrogens. Um, but I think that it's just a little better way to do it. You have a little bit of protection from it. The one you want to avoid and one they used to use is called triest tri meaning three types of estrogen and they included estrone and estrone is the the type of uh, estrogen that is produced more postmenopausally that has been associated more with cancer that's what the form of like primrim which is pregnant horse urine it was predominantly uh, estrone so you definitely need not to be taking triest um, that's way in the past so um, you know, but I'm, I'm good with just estradiol. That's what we do in pellets, of course. Um, uh, but great question. That's, so that's basically the, you know, one-on-one on the different forms of, of estrogen. You can even, you're talking about testing. You can even do a, what's called a Dutch test that we sometimes do that measures, um, the way estrogen is metabolized, um, and that's a really interesting test to kind of get. It kind of dives kind of deep. It's an expensive test. Sometimes hard to interpret because they, they make it kind of complex. And But they also include some other biomarkers like your some of your like norepinephrine levels and uh, epinephrine levels. And uh, just an interesting test it's a it's a urine test a metabolite test but um it it, it kind of sees whether which pathway your estrogens metabolize down so that you know if you if you're worried about hormones like you have a strong family history of breast cancer and you're really worried about it you can see which way your estrogen which pathway there's the the two, the four, and the 16 pathway that the estrogen can be metabolized down. And according to your genetics, it may go down a safer pathway or not a safer pathway. So sometimes we'll break it down like that if you're really hesitant about even getting on uh, any form of estrogen um, because of family history or, or whatever. But um, it's a great question, though. Biased is good, has protective estriol in it. Estradiol is the main one that we replace. That's the most bioactive one. Just avoid estrone um, and take a deeper dive if you want. Um, I love I love these questions, and, and this next one I think is is a question that I know um, people a lot of people are thinking, and I know you've heard it a lot. Um, so the question the, the the background is I saw a new 
PCP this week, and he, unlike my old one, really encouraged me to consider stopping my BHRT due to the increased risk of cancer, blood clots, etc., especially considering that I had a grandmother with breast cancer, no idea what type it was. It was in the 50s. Uh, I, I know you do not agree with that thought, which I'm going to get back to. Uh, the question is, uh, why do so many doctors still say that? Is it simply that they have not studied hormones and the use of bioidentical hormones? Uh, my first question is, do you not actually agree with this? What's your... Um, well, it depends on what form of hormones you're on. You know, if you're taking an oral hormone, again, I don't use oral hormones. I just think it's more dangerous for clotting factors. But creams will not, creams or pellets do not affect clotting factors. And, you know, with anything you do, you have to, you have to weigh the risks versus the benefits. Um, and if you, if you have normal mammograms, normal pap smears, and you take care of yourself, you're not obese, you don't smoke, you don't drink too much alcohol, um, you're fit. Um, the benefits, I can guarantee you, are going to far outweigh the risk of taking bioidentical hormones. Now, it's true that, um, you know, your your doctor may not be educated on bioidentical hormones. Probably 99% of them aren't. They just don't teach it. You know, I had to go do a fellowship in this and I had no clue before then. Um, so... Most doctors just simply don't know about it. And, you know, they're scared because, you know, they're, they're scared of breast cancer. But bioidentical hormone, they do not cause breast cancer. They do not cause heart disease, in my opinion, if you use them right, um, through creams or pellets. Um, again, you're not using estrone like we just talked about. Um, and, and there's some doctors that think, well, let's use them until you're, you know, about 65 and then stop them because of the increased risk. Well, you know, when you stop them, you're going to get old quicker than you, you are. If you, you're going to get old anyway, but you're going to be healthier, more vibrant uh, if you continue using them. Um, I often say that if you start on bioidentical hormones early enough, and the earlier the better you start looking at this thing, like your mid-40s is what I, I start looking at them, um, the better, the better off you are for your you know, preserving your bones, preserving your brain. If you take bioidentical hormones in midlife, it's estimated that you're about half as likely to get dementia. And dementia is a woman's disease because of lack of estrogen. Women lose bone osteoporosis because of lack of estrogen. Estrogen, women don't have heart attacks before age 50 usually. Why? Like men do. Why? Because of your estrogen is protective of your heart. You just have to know what you're doing. Use the right forms. Follow your levels. Consider the risks versus the benefits. And again, don't go blame your family doctor about not knowing because, you know, a lot of a lot of doctors, you know, we're taught do no harm. So anything that could possibly, you know, have an adverse reaction do no harm. So doctors get scared of, you know, they practice defensive medicine, but they, a lot of times they won't consider down the line, how you're going to feel and what your life's going to be like. I mean, you know, a sad fact is, as your hormones decline, you decline. It's like nature saying to you, you're finished reproducing, start dying. The problem is we're living a long time. So um, for your brain, your bones, your libido, your, your strength. I mean, that's why women need testosterone. Most, most doctors, even gynecologists don't think or know that women need testosterone. Like I just said, a woman has premenopausal has more testosterone in her body than estrogen. So testosterone is for brain, for muscles that burns fat, for vitality, for well-being. So again, don't blame your doctor, but, you know, make your own decisions and, Certainly just do it. Somebody that does a lot of it and knows what they're doing and does the safe forms that monitors you. A lot of times I find that because a woman is on hormones, they're more likely to go get their mammogram, you know, and keep up with their pap smears and their exams. Um, you know, not that there can't be side effects with anything you do, like taking an aspirin, 
you know, but so weigh the risk versus the benefit, the fact that your grandmother had breast cancer, you know, um, I think only one out of seven women who get breast cancer have a family history of it. It's more likely caused by other things like being overweight, you know, um, but in eating bad, um, gosh, so you gotta, you gotta really know what you're doing, uh, with it. And again, if you don't feel good about it, um, you know, don't do it, but, um, educate yourself. One, one book you need to read is a book called all about women's hormones by Dr. Pam Smith. Um, she's to me, the world's guru of female hormone replacement and read that book. You can order it off the internet, from just cheap Amazon. And, uh, you'll be, you'll probably be afraid not to take it, <laughs> but so educate yourself and, you know, go, come go to a doctor who's, you know, board certified in integrated medicine that has a lot of experience with use of bioidentical hormones. Um, so I hope that helps you. Uh, I, I love that. It, and do you want need to add to any to this part? Why do you so many doctors still say that? Or I, I feel like you kind of got oh, because, that. Because they're not educated. They're scared of it. They're not educated. They may have read or heard about the Women's Health Initiative that was probably in the last 25 years, it's probably the biggest study that's been a disservice to women ever because it turned doctors and patients off of hormone replacement therapy. At that time, they were replacing with Primrin and Primpro, which are synthetic hormones from pregnant horse urine and medroxyprogesterone, which is different than bioidentical progesterone. So in that study, in that study, even in that using those synthetic hormones, it went from four women per thousand getting breast cancer without hormones to five per thousand that got breast cancer. And it wasn't really even the estrogen. It was the medroxyprogesterone arm of the, the study that was the culprit. So it really did a big disservice. And women are paying for it nowadays because their doctors won't even consider hormone replacement. And it's not their fault. They're not detailed by drug reps because they're, they're off patent. You have to go to a compounding pharmacy to get them. So they're, they're not out there promoting it. You know, there's no, so uh, it's just really interesting. It's a shame really, but you know, um, that's why. So don't blame your doctor, but just go to a doctor who's, you know, you'd want to go to a doctor if you had a particular form of cancer that was a specialist in that cancer, you'd want to go to an orthopedic surgeon who was a specialist in replacing your knee. So go to somebody who does a lot of this and specializes in it, knows the results of the studies and, you know, is looking out at all your other health too and uh, go from there. But the great, wonderful question. Uh, great question there. Thank you for prompting that conversation. I think um, that's a conversation that uh, needs to be had more and more, and people need to, uh, I think, hear that message more and more so they can make educated decisions for themselves um, as, you know, as they start to think about hormone replacement. And uh, I want to kind of still along the lines of BHRT, uh, we'll move fast here. Does resveratrol, resveratrol interfere with estrogen or progesterone receptors? I don't think it does. Really don't. Well, there you go. Uh, and then I want to go to this question. Then I got one that just came over email. Um, let's see. This one is a, I think this is a really interesting one. Um, it's best sustainable weight loss tips for women in their 30s. I know you have thoughts on this. And um, uh, I'm just going to let you take it away. Man, we're getting some great questions tonight. Yeah. Um, well, uh, there's two things that, again, um, everybody's different, you know, make sure your gut works right. Uh, make sure you get all the baseline studies to make sure, uh, that you don't have any deficiencies like, uh, especially thyroid. See that a lot. Um, cortisol levels can count. That's why stress can cause weight gain. Um, you know, what I see with women through 36 years of medical practice is 
here's what can happen. You need to be real careful that this doesn't happen. A lot of women that I know that women are so good. I mean, they're, they're better people than men. They're smarter too. But what happens is a lot of times they become caretakers and, you know, they kind of ignore their own health. So usually typical scenario, they're lean and fit in high school and maybe in college. And then they get married, have kids and start to gain weight five pounds this year, five pounds another year, five pounds this year. By the time they're 50 years old, they're obese, pre-diabetic, knees hurt all the time. They're probably depressed. And then they hit menopause, which really is a weight gainer um, because of loss of hormones to keep their metabolism going. And they're much more likely to have thyroid problems as well. But so you have to be careful that that doesn't happen to you. You need to, my number one tip is take care of yourself so that you can take care of all those other people you have to take care of. So, but a couple tidbits that I, that I usually use on most everybody. So get some baseline lab work to see where you are because weight loss is complex. It's not one size fits all. Um, it becomes harder as you get older. And for women, 30 is an age where I start seeing a lot of weight gain. Pregnancy can throw your, uh, your hormones and your thyroid off a lot and your metabolism. Your metabolism depends a lot on your hormones. But a couple of tips if you want. Number one, you're probably eating too many carbs. Number two, you need to practice some intermittent fasting. Um, you know, and take time for yourself. I, I, I love exercise. I don't think exercise is the greatest weight loss tool in the world. It's not, but it's great for your health um, and may help you sustain weight loss. But if you're having trouble, try those two things, get some baseline labs and you may need some help. I mean, you know, this is a metabolic problem. Um, you know, in my practice through the years that I've had performance medicine, you know, I really started to doubt because I thought there were too many obese people in my practice that I was just putting on one, on one medicine after another for their cholesterol, their diabetes, their arthritis, and their depression. They come back in, you know, a few months later to recheck them. You know, their numbers may have looked better, but they were still overweight and not happy. So there's a lot of variables to it. That's why I have a, a PhD psychologist, Dr. Branca, on my team. That's why I have a nutritionist on my team. Lucas, who's very, very knowledgeable about uh, metabolism and different weight loss um, uh, remedies and all on different diets and things like that. So, um, gosh, we have we have so many people that kind of pitch in and um, and are able to help us with that because it's 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 really it can be tough. So those are my that's my quick tips on weight loss. I, I love to see people come in and they, they want to lose weight and just haven't been able to because they haven't found the right way. They haven't heard the right thing. They've been told that they need to eat low fat or just cut their calories down. You know, the timing of your eating is as important as your calorie count, probably more. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that a lot of people don't know that um, we could probably help you with. So um, real quick, can you go over um, what those baseline labs would be uh, for so Cleveland, Cleveland heart panel? Okay. We check it all hormones, thyroid, adrenals, uh, inflammatory markers. Sometimes we look into gut, you know, gut testing. If you've got an upset stomach all the time, uh, it's going to be tough. And the other thing I'll tell you um, is if you're emotionally, imbalanced, you're going to have a hard time uh, getting anywhere with a physician. If you're emotionally unbalanced, especially with weight, with weight loss. So that's why I have Dr. Brank and help, help me with that. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of things, a lot of variables, um, but lower, lower your carbs, try intermittent fasting and uh, see how that works for you. Um, great question. Great answer. I got one more question and then we're going to get into the live, uh, comments. Paul, I see you. Thank you so much for hanging out. 
Uh, let's see, Lisa, I see you. Thank you for sharing the episode. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, Jack, I see you, man. Uh, let's go to, let's get this question in, and then we're going to get to the live comments. And let's see, where am I? There we go. Uh, the question is, how long does it take to regrow hair after a diagnosis of low estrogen and thyroiditis? And also, what is the name of the vitamin recommended for hair growth uh, that is sold at Performance Medicine? Well, there's, of course, there's always biotin. And then there's a, a shampoo that we like called Ontogeny C. But depending on whether it's male or female. Female. Um, female. And, and how long does it take to regrow? Of course, hair loves estrogen. It's not too fond of testosterone if it's converting to dihydrotestosterone. So sometimes we'll put a DHT blocker in there. Um, so there's a lot of ways. First, you need a, a workup to make sure your your ferritin levels or iron is okay. Your thyroid, of course, thyroid, loss of thyroid function um, is going to cause hair loss. So you need the thyroid balanced. Um, there, there's a lot of variables to it. Biotin is, is a good course vitamin for it's one of the b vitamins for hair loss um and a lot gosh we do all kinds of stuff i did a prp scalp today um you know i use a lot of minoxidil which is rogaine but i like to use it orally as well and sometimes we'll have some compounded hair loss uh topicals that have latisse a little bit of finasteride um and minoxidil rogaine uh, in it, uh, as well as some vitamins. But uh, so, yeah, come in. That's something we really like to look at, especially if you're a woman. You do not want to lose your hair. How long it takes to regrow it, man, that just depends. Um, but I'll tell you one thing, regrowing women's hair is a lot easier than regrowing men's hair, for sure. And Because it's usually a correctable hormone problem. I've also heard you say that that it does come back. It's not like men's uh, hair loss, where women's hair is, is usually. usually comes back. Usually, there's some tough cases, but usually, you know, uh, well, I, I alopecia hope... areata is tough. If it's patchy bald spots, that's usually an autoimmune process. But that's a little different process than just thinning the hair. Uh, but anyway. Hope that helps. Uh, hope that helps. Great question. We're going to continue to be talking about thyroiditis, hair loss. We know that's an important topic for a lot of people. Uh, so we're going to try to get uh, as much uh, content um, uh, out there about that. Um, so that does it for the questions that came in throughout the week. Thank you guys so much for doing that. That was uh, amazing questions. Uh, we're going to jump into uh, the live comments. I'm going to put this up from our operations manager, Katie. Uh, this is the um, the thyroid book that we refer to. Uh, it's called Hashimoto's Thyroiditis uh, Lifestyle Interventions. Um, and I, I think, I forget who uh, the author was, um, but we will, we will put that up as well. Uh, so that is the book that we've been talking about. Um, let's get to, let's see, where's a question here? We're going to just go down the line. Uh, gosh, the, the 31 people who are here, I can't like, thank you so much for hanging out with us these past 45 minutes. Uh, this means the world to us. We're going to try to get to every question we can. Um, let's see. Oh, I'll put this up there just to, this will give us some energy. I uh, wanted to tell Dr. Rogers that my sister Lynn lives in Florida. I have shared with her the link. She started taking the vitamins. Dr. Rogers, right? She said she was feeling so much better, lost more energy. That's awesome. Uh, thank you for putting that in, the, in there, Belinda. Um, let's see. Uh, this is for the restless legs question. Magnesium citrate helps with that. Thank you, Belinda, for adding Definitely. that. Definitely. Um, okay, let's get to Lisa's question. Lisa shared the, uh, the broadcast tonight. Thank you, Lisa, for doing that. A uh, 50-year-old female with testosterone of 188, no hysterectomy, no more periods. I've taken finasteride for three years, not changing my T level at all. I do have a mass on each ovary and have had for years. Left ovary is now uh, lobulated. Um, how can I reduce the T level? That's a toughie. I saw a woman like that last week. I mean, not, not, you know, that's a high T level if you're not on hormone replacement. And I assume you're not on hormone replacement. Um, it's usually 
going to be overproduction of testosterone either by your ovaries or maybe your adrenal glands. So I would definitely get a scan and see uh, what's there. You know, um, you're 58 and, and really should not be producing that much testosterone. I don't know whether you had PCOS, you know, early in your life or not, which women can have a high testosterone level, high insulin levels, and a lot of fertility problems and problems with terrible PMS. So um, that's an interesting thing. You know, finasteride is going to block down dihydrotestosterone, maybe not total testosterone. So you may need to check, you know, your DHT level to see what's happening with that. Um, but it'd be nice to see, you know, or figure out what to do about your ovaries. I, ha I hate to tell you to go get a, you know, hysterectomy. Um, but, you know, it just depends on the nature of that mass and whether or not they're worried about it or not. Um, obviously it wouldn't be cancer. They'd be in there taking your ovaries out so fast to make your head spin. But, um, look at it and see if it causes you pain. If any of your, if your other hormones are, are off, it'd be interesting to check a DHEA S level on you to see some cortisol levels and insulin levels. You just need a little bit uh, more of a workout on that thing. But that's, that's a, a challenging case. that needs to be looked at to see what's causing it. Uh, but a scan for sure um, is definitely indicated and, you know, see what it, see why sometimes even scan pituitaries and, and you know look at that and see uh, if you have a pituitary abnormality um it's a really interesting case that, that needs to be worked up uh lisa thank you so much for putting that in there um hope that hope that helps a little bit uh let's get to andy's question here andy margaret um, can you have regular thyroid test levels and still have Hashimoto's, et cetera? Or yeah, yeah, you could. I mean, if you get the way to rule out Hashimoto's is to get uh, a TPO antibody and an antithyroglobulin antibody. Um, because the vast majority of the time, the TPO, 92 to 94% of the time, it's going to be positive if you have Hashimoto's, but you can still have regular thyroid tests. And that's why I really like to do the TPO early, you know, because you can maybe catch it and maybe prevent you from developing hypothyroidism. Like I say, Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease, something's attacking your thyroid, um, is the most common cause of hypothyroidism. So, if you can identify, if your TPO pops up early, even though you have normal um, uh, thyroid function tests, and again, normal is a huge range. So if you have symptoms, we even treat it. We treat a lot of normal thyroids. So even taking your body temperature for seven straight mornings before you get out of your bed is a good way to see what you, how your thyroid's functioning because it regulates your temperature. It's what it does. Um, but so um, you certainly could, but go get both those antibodies test and look at it. Sometimes we'll even ultrasound your thyroid to see if you have some uh, atypical changes there that are indicative of um, Hashimoto's. You can a lot of times tell on a thyroid ultrasound, which is a painless test. So um, then you may need to make sure everything else is okay, like your ferritin levels, your insulin, your cortisol. Uh, but yeah, you certainly could have Hashimoto's and have normal thyroid tests. See it a lot. And if you do, you, you may want to take some actions to, to prevent you from developing it. That's your window of time where you can actually prevent it, like going gluten-free, taking zinc and selenium, um, mm. and eating a really clean diet, an autoimmune-type diet. Take care of your gut health. Remember, most autoimmune disease originate in the gut, so... You need to look at all those things. And so you may be able to prevent yourself from having hypothyroid and taking thyroid medicine the rest of your life. Thank you for that, Andy. Margaret, uh, let's get to Don's question. 
Uh, can you recommend a good resource for intermittent fasting for women, especially older women? Gosh, there's a, there's a good book by Jan Stevens, Fast, Feast, Repeat. And Dr. Jung is a really good uh, physician that does a lot of work with, with that. Um, J-U-N-G, I forget the first name, but... Uh, for women, that's really good. Jan Stevens' book on um, on fasting is really good. Fast, feast, repeat. So look, get that book first. It's a great. That's a. You mentioned that. Uh, I, I believe there was a there was a podcast we did on intermittent fasting that you mentioned that book. Um, I believe, but that's uh, that was what changed your mind about. Uh, intermittent fasting, I believe, wasn't you uh, originally were thinking that you could still have cream in your coffee? Was that Yeah, right? she's a big proponent of, of clean fasting. Clean yeah, which fasting. Means, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I thought, you know, well, I just did my own experiments. When I put MCT oil and That's butter right. in my coffee, it really kind of hampered a little bit of the goals I was trying to achieve. So um, it's a good point. Uh, thank you, Don, for that question. Uh, let's get to, to, to Robin. This is about the neuropathy of feet and legs. Uh, back to the question about neuropathy of feet and legs. Can low iron cause inflammation of the knee and ankle also? Low iron can do a lot of things because you need iron to kind of function for some of your enzymatic processes. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't go blaming it on there, but go check a ferritin level for sure. Um, and then... You know, sometimes we get into extensive vitamin vitamin checking, like zinc and copper and all those in there, but um, vitamin A. Uh, so it could it could possibly cause it because low iron can throw a lot of stuff off. And remember, if you take if you replace your iron, take vitamin C with it. It makes the iron absorb better. Um, so thank you question. for that. Thank you for that, Robin. Let's get to Lori's question. Uh, what dosage of oral Rogaine for a, for a female? 2.5 milligrams daily. 2.5 milligrams daily. Thank you for that. Great don't question. Don't take it if you're, if you're going to get pregnant, don't take it. You certainly can't get near finasteride if you're going to think about getting pregnant. Um, but anyway. Say, say that one more time. I want to make sure I didn't cut you off there. Uh, what'd you say? No, I'm saying, I'm saying, you know, if you take minoxidil which is rogaine don't you know don't think about getting pregnant it's not good for pregnancy and finasteride is disastrous for pregnancy so you can't get near that if you're childbearing age or you know got it you don't have your tubes tied or whatever all right hope that hope that helps uh, let's get to velma's question would taking t-shots after knee replacement help healing process for my husband I think it does if he has low T. Yeah, testosterone is just a wonder drug, in my opinion. Um, it does seem to help people sleep better. It helps them regain mobility better. I mean, it, if he has low T, for sure. You know, I think it really does help uh, rejuvenate muscles and joints and makes you feel like rehabbing and exercising, too. Um, but, yeah, knee replacements can be tough. Uh, thank you for that question, Velma. Let's get to go to Karen's question. Uh, let's see here. Uh, my PCP has never suggested the Cleveland Heart Panel. Is that something we should request or have as part of our annual slash routine test? This is a great question. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he doesn't know about it or he or she doesn't know about it because uh, they just never heard about it. I mean, um, but yeah, it's, it's run by Quest Lab. So it's the biggest lab in the world. A lot of people just don't know about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just the most comprehensive lab test out there. And insurance usually covers, covers it great. Um, so I get, I get them by the thousands. And I get so much useful information from them. Um, but, you know, they may be, they may be reticent to, to, um, to order one because they won't know how to interpret it most of the time. <laughs> so as a doctor, you shouldn't order a test. You don't know how to interpret. It makes you look bad. It's funny because one time 
I, I did a, a Cleveland panel on this um, a patient of mine, and we went over it, and he had a history of heart disease and had a couple of stents. And I said, are you following up with your cardiologist and, um, on a routine basis? You know, he says, yeah. Matter of fact, I see him next week you know, for follow-up. And I go, well, take him your Cleveland heart panel, which is run by the, interpreted by the Cleveland Clinic, the best heart place in the world. And uh, take this by, that way you won't have to have, you know, any more lab tests. Everything will be right there for him. And, um, you know, thinking I was doing him a favor. And um, so the next time I saw him, um, I said, hey, you know, what's your heart doctor say? You, you know, you're How's your heart doing? He says, I'll never go back to that guy again. I go, why? And he goes, well, I showed him the Cleveland heart panel. He took one look at it and threw it in the garbage can and said, this is BS. <laughs> and I laughed my head off and uh, trying to figure out why in the world would he do that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, you've got your particle size of your... LDL, your oxidization levels, your inflammatory markers. I mean, every, your insulin, just every possible thing you could have in there to look for how your heart's doing. And I actually told one of my uh, cardiology buddies about it, and he laughed his head off too. And, uh, and we sat there talking, and he knew exactly why this guy did it. And the guy, by the way, lost a good patient because of that, because he acted so stupid. But, um, it was because he didn't know how to interpret it uh, for one thing. You know, he just didn't know. He, he doesn't, he doesn't know lipidology. He doesn't know insulin resistance. You know, he was not willing to learn new stuff, I guess. Um, so it was just funny to me, but that's, that's very common, you know, Super Plus maybe he wanted to run his own lab and make money from his own lab. Who knows? But I thought it was just hilarious. And so if you ever think, you need a second opinion on something, don't hesitate to get it. This is your body. You have the right to do with your own body, you know, and, and look further into things as anybody. So I thought that was just funny. But yeah. uh, that your PCP is not going to hear about this test. So and but you can always come into to one of my offices and get the test run. I don't care if you even see me for it, but get it, you know, and get it looked at and talked over with a you know, with a physician or PA nurse practitioner, somebody that knows stuff. Um, but they just don't want to get into it probably, you know, but to be honest, when you just look at a total cholesterol, HDL and LDL, you don't know Jack, that doesn't tell you hardly anything, you know, as far as decision-making, you know, you know, whether you need a statin or what, you know, it's complex. Doctors are too busy, you know. They're too full, busy fooling with their EMRs and they're finding codes and getting you out of their office as soon as they can so they can see the next one. You know, generate money, that type of thing. <laughs> Volume. I used to have to do it that way. I know, believe me, I've been doing this 36 years. I know the game. Uh, Karen, you, you and I both know how to get Dr. Rogers on the soapbox, and, and, and this, is, this is one of those topics. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> no, I love it. I you know, love you it. get to a certain age in your life. My dad, who was also a physician, told me this. He goes, you'll come in some point in your life as you get older where you'll speak your mind and not really care what people think so much. <laughs> No, I, I love it. It's actually, it's a, it's a powerful message. And, and I, I, I hope what people got out of that is, you know, you're in control. And, um, I think the, the more patients know that going into a visit and that's part of the reason, part of the purpose behind this show show is to, you know, help help the people watching or listening on the podcast, um, go into these visits with more, with more tools in their tool bag. And, um, yep. and so Karen, we hope that you, you, you get the, you ask for the Cleveland heart panel, even if, you know, your PCP doesn't know about it because it can really, it can really help you. It could give you knowledge that, that you need to know. Remember, so, um, your doctor is working for you. It's not the other way around. They're working for you. So um, just take that opinion. I mean, because that's the way it is. A lot of times, because of third-party payments and all this, 
they really think that they're working for the insurance company, which in a way they are, because that's who pays them. But uh, that's why I do a cash only practice. It's a perfect example. You know, I'm just working for you. And I'm not working for an insurance company and I'm not going to, you know, be bound by what they tell me to do because they don't know what to do. Uh, they care about the money. I'm caring about the patient. And I'm not getting on a soapbox or, you know, self-grandiosing me, but that's just the way I think it's the best way to practice medicine, you know. But um, so, you know, I need to get off the soapbox. You're right. <laughs> No, I, I love that. I love that. I'm going to put this up uh, from from Gwen. Uh, I just wanted to thank you and your staff. You've been able to help my mother when no one, no other doctors could. Thank you for keeping up with the current uh, research. Thank you, Gwen, for, for that. I really appreciate that. I want to make sure docs... And don't even get me talking about that thing that's been going on around for the last two and a half years. We won't even talk about that. No, we're, we're going to get... We're going to have to get Ike up, up before we start talking about that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Matt, your timing is almost impeccable. Um, let's let's see here. I want to get Velma real real quick. She asked a good question. Will taking beta beta glucan help prevent COVID? Beta glucan is a good uh, supplement for immune systems. No doubt about that. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. I love beta glucan, especially for anybody with a, a compromised immune system. Uh, really, especially diabetics. I love beta glucan. Great point. Um, thank you for that. You don't Vel think about that enough. I'm going to put this up from Lori. I uh, also would like to thank you and your son, Andy, who diagnosed me last week. That's awesome. That's my brother. Um, Andy's in our Johnson City Clinic. And Lori, I tell you what, you're uh, in good hands uh, over there. Um, he is he's the bomb. Um, he is he's the, he's not only the funniest uh, guy in my life, but he's he's definitely the smartest. And uh, and I think I think you, dad, would even. Uh, uh, agree with that? Would you not? Yes, and he's always he's always been brilliant. He's 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 amazing. That, the thing about it, people see him, they don't want to see me anymore. They just want to go back to him, <laughs> which is good with me. Uh, I'll put this up from uh, Karen. Uh, I may just there you go, there you go. I like that. Definitely, um, definitely get the order of Cleveland Heart Panel, no matter no matter what you do. Yeah, I mean, you can keep your doctor, of course, and whatever this is teamwork we all should be just working for the patient to get them better and figure things out so i love working with other doctors i mean i see a ton of doctors in my practice and you know it's it's just neat to to work with them and try to help figure people out and help them that's the only reason you should be doing this job in the first place otherwise it drives you nuts but, uh, I see, I see, I see an Ike, an Ike. Yeah, knows. I think Ike's about to make an appearance. <laughs> Let's get Ike on, and then we'll get to right. we'll get to Bianca's question. Bianca, I'm gonna get you. I promise. Right. Uh, better yet, <laughs> how big is that? How big is that? Time. There's Katie. I see Katie. I'll tell you, Ike is getting big. <laughs> He's really getting huge. Uh, uh, so, guys. Uh, you guys may, I'm just He's so camera friendly. He looks good on camera, doesn't he? I know this is the reason people are here. They're, they're, they're here to, to get a glimpse of Ike and, uh, Ike has made an appearance and it's selfishly for me too. I, I, I want to make sure I get to see Ike a little bit, uh, on these Tuesday nights. Um, either you or Ike answered this question, pop, um, is, is insurance why they say pap smears only every three years after a certain age? Yeah, I mean, that's one reason. You know, if you've had all normal pap smears your whole life, you know, even two in a row that are normal, you don't have risk factors, and you don't need to get them every year. Now, I believe in a yearly mammogram. I really do. Um, but an insurance sometimes controls that kind of thing, too. But, um, but yeah, but plus it's probably not needed that much at a certain age without any risk factors, you've always had normal. I like to usually, you know, do them every two years uh, just to, because you need that exam as well. You know, a pap smear looks at your endocervical tissue, but it's also an examination is good too. So you're not just doing it for the pap smear itself. You're doing it for looking for other pathology. Um, anyway, and you know, it's a good idea to get a rectal exam too. You know why you're there, but 
pleasant to say, but I probably should. But yeah, I mean, you know, again, don't don't limit your insurance coverage to what you do. Um, you know, because if, if you're allowing just insurance only, you know, you may may miss things. Uh, so, I love very that. good point, though, Bianca. Great point. Uh, Bianca, thank you for, for adding that question. It's a great question. Um, let's see here. Uh, Steve saying Ike looks like Cary Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wish you'd say that about me. <laughs> ben, ben kind of looks like Cary Grant. Too. Um, uh, guys, uh, we're going to, we're going to call it an evening. Doc, thanks so much for the, for the, for the time tonight, man, everybody who stuck around with us this whole hour, uh, we really appreciate you. I see Gwen uh, here. She's seen Dr. Rogers, Andy, and Fran. Uh, that is a trio right there. All three are amazing. Uh, Andy and Fran, of course, are in the Johnson City office. Uh, Fran Wilson, thank you guys uh, for mentioning that. Gwen, uh, Lori, thank you. Uh, Ike's, getting, Ike's getting so much love. I wish, I don't think he can read, but if he could... Um, he would, his ego would be, you know, through the roof, I think, based on these, <laughs> <laughs> on these comments. <laughs> uh, guys, all right, we're going to call Thanks, it, a, call it a night. Paul, thank you. Uh, thank you, D Lynn. Uh, thank you, Sherry. Um, Terry, thank you so much. I'm going to put this up so doc can see it. Uh, thankful for a doctor who has practiced a long time. Still has, it's very sweet. That's very sweet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to us. Uh, Terry, thank you. Um, all right, Doc, uh, go get a bike ride in or something if it's not raining. All right. Thanks, Ben. Have a good night. <laughs> Guys, we love you. Thank you so much. This has been the Performance Medicine Show. We do this every single Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, we appreciate everybody that joins us live, and we also appreciate the people listening to us uh, on the podcast. Uh, Katie Gegley, our operations manager, thank you so much for being behind the scenes and in the comments thank and you. helping out uh, with with the tech over there uh, at the at the the Rogers household. We really appreciate that. Um, all right, till next time, guys. We love you, Pop. Love you, man. Don't go away. All right, see ya. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, we will see you guys next time.